Thanks for tuning to Digital Voices Podcast, where we chat digital transformation, challenges and opportunities across healthcare and life sciences. And now, your host, Ed Marks. Today, I'm thrilled to have Scott Beckers from Beckers Healthcare with us. He is a, a friend and really a mentor. I call him a virtual mentor because while I don't actually pick up the phone and, and talk to Scott very often, all the content that Scott put, puts out is just amazing. And I listen to him all the time while I'm running, sometimes on my bike, and always, always uh, learning from Scott. So Scott, welcome to our podcast, Digital Voices. Ed, what a pleasure to visit with you today. Thank you so much for having me. Totally excited to get to visit. Thank you. So we're going to talk a little bit about the resource. Like I just mentioned, I, I use Becker's a lot in terms of how I keep up with the industry, one of my go-to uh, resources. So uh, Sydney, DJ Sid, what about you? What What do you do? You know, you're a little bit younger in your career. What What sort of things do you do to keep up with, you know, with the industry and what's going on? Yeah, that's a good question, Ed. Um Probably my my first resource would be some LinkedIn groups that I originally joined when I started working. Um, those have been really useful as I've been working here. And then also um, we have a weekly call with one of the sales leaders on our team, and we kind of use it as like a Q and A session where all of our, all of us AEs, account executives, we ask whatever questions have come up during the week, whether it be in the industry or um, just in our day-to-day -day jobs. But that's been really helpful. And we've dove pretty deep into industry-specific spe things. Um, so that, I, I guess my main resource would honestly be people. I just yeah. love talking to people about, that helps me learn the best. Yeah, whatever whatever the source is, I always just tell people whatever you're most comfortable with, whether it's webinars or podcasts or a combination, people asking questions of people, you do everything you can to continuously sharpen the saw, and your career will will skyrocket. So, um, yeah, that's that's really great perspective. So, with Scott, Scott, I'll let him introduce himself a little bit, but he's a partner in a law firm. He uh, then he's an attorney. Clearly, he's a founder, Becker's Healthcare and a really great guy and a father, a husband, all that kind of good stuff. So um, I first met Scott, I think it was 2014. So Becker's uh, was, you all started conferences in healthcare and I was attracted to to those. And I, I think it was 2014. And then uh, from there, Scott, you had me speak a couple times, like in 15, 16, 17, 18. Uh, and we got to know each other. And I, I learned so much at your conferences and We'll be talking a little bit about that, but I, I've, like I already stated, I, I just learned so much from you, uh, sometimes directly, but most often virtually. And the most important question, though, Scott, that everyone wants to know is your favorite music. So, what kind of music do you like to chill to? Sure, sure. So this is a this is a uh, a, a fair question, a good question. The um, so I'm a avid '70s on '70 listener and serious, you know, and serious, and this is. A it's, it's literally the only station I ever on in the radio in the car is 70s on 7 and I'm not a um oh my goodness I am um I, I enjoy it I'm not a big concert goer a huge you know I used to love the Warren Zevons of the world and stuff like that my musical taste 
are so far, you know, they're so, they so predate most of your audience day. It's so <laughs> embarrassing. But I used to watch, you know, The Rush, The Queen, The Warren Zevon, uh, Neil Young has always been one of my favorites. Crosby Stills, but, but really Neil Young, more than Crosby Stills, Nash and Young. Listened to a lot of Bob Dylan when I was younger. I mean, a lot of, a lot of things that have lyrics and a, and a song to them and words that I could relate to or try and grab onto. The first concert I ever went to, it's so embarrassing, was Ari Speedwagon back in the day. But I'm really sort of wet in the 70s and 70s, and my kids think I'm like <laughs> dinosauric in terms of face, which I am. But it's, you know, it's a comfort thing for me. It's like it's like a comfort, a comfort zone. It's like literally I'll try and turn on the all station, the other stations that my kids listen to. You know, the dials over the years have been set with those, particularly when they were still in high school and still driving, taking them to school and stuff like that. But now it's all 70s on 70 and so embarrassing. It's mostly just like the lack of personal growth that I'm still in the 70s. And That's funny. I think my first concert was, was a 70s band tune named Poco. Do you remember Poco? Yeah. Sure, yeah. sure, 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 sure. P-O-S. Not Oh, but I do remember yeah. and a handful of yeah. hits and stuff so, like that. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, there's something, I don't know, it forms in your brain and you, you have all that music. So I, I definitely have an extensive 70s collection on my iPod or my, my, my music for sure. So the other question that we always ask everyone, then we're going to dive into some specific ones for you, but, but everyone always wants to know, you know a little bit about our guests. And, and Scott, what do you have like um, something that guides you, a personal mantra or... Uh, a specific passion, a life message, you know, something that really drives you every day? Yeah, no, this is a great question. I don't know that I have a specific mantra specifically. There are a handful of things that we talk to kids about regularly that we try and organize our lives around regularly and stuff like that. It's, it's more along those lines. We, we sort of view it as three vast categories of life. And, and as you get older, the first one becomes more important. The first one, sort of this constant concept of focusing on physical and mental health, which you know, it's it's it. You, you people say it like when you're younger, people say things like health is wealth, and things like that. And as you get a little bit older, you think, oh my God, they were yeah. right. Health is wealth. It could be the richest person, but if you die early or something, it doesn't yeah. really do you very much good. And this constant constant effort towards physical and mental health. We organize a lot of life around those things. We organize a lot of life around what I'd say is relationship and family health and staying close with the people that are very important to us. And so make it constantly to them. And then we organize a third part of life around what I would call, you know, financial slash professional investment life, that kind of life. Then those are the three big categories. And, you know, I'm, uh, you know, you know, well, we belong to religious institutions. We're not highly religious. We're not. We're not highly those things. We're, but we are. We're. We're a big proponent of physical, and mental health. Everything sort of starts with family health and family relationships, and then then professional and business, or professional and financial, and make sure business operations are worth. And then, then it comes back to the. Um, we do have a number of other things that we talk about constantly in the family, which is, you know, most things are okay. Almost everything's okay. And then once in a while, something's not okay. Like, like something not okay is we had a nephew pass away, a brain cancer yeah. last year. That's not okay. But, but everything else in life is peaks and valleys, and it's okay. We, we talk about that a lot in our family. We talk about you know, this concept of um, never overplay your hand. You know, it's, there's this old concept of a million different concepts around 
whatever you see on the way up, you better be nice to you because you're coming yeah. down as well. And it's just life. This is just life. You are up, down, you're good, you're bad. So you never overplay your, your hand with people. You never sort of like be a nasty person. You never be those kinds of things. There's just no upside to it. There's nothing good that comes out of it. And, and there's a lot of things like that. We talk about being anti-fragile, about trying to keep things anti-fragile. So when we talk about whether health system debt, nation debt, family debt, we're not big fans. We're, we're, we're not big fans of being over-leveraged, over-indebted. We talk about core concepts in life, and then there's a couple of phrases we use all the time. God bless, it is what it is. More throwaway phrases, but we sort of like, they're constant yeah. phrases that we go back to and so forth. Do work on this concept of everything's okay. There's just a couple of things that aren't okay that, that can be okay, but, but really to focus life around. It's up, it's down, but it's okay. Yeah. And, and then once in a while, something's not okay. It's just like, you know, you, you know, some, you know someone passing away, yeah. something bad happens, like this thing that happened recently, somebody out of trucking to right. people. That's not okay. But but most things in life yeah. are day-to-day. I, I love okay. it. And thank you for being transparent. Uh, that's that's really cool. And great words to live by. Wow. Um, talk to us a little bit about you, uh, sort of your story, like, uh, you can get as personal and uh, talk about profession as you want to and take us all the way to what today is, uh, you know, what, what, you do, what you do, your company, your organization. I've already talked about it a little bit, but, you know, people want to know a little bit about Scott, although you just shared quite a bit. And, and so how you came to create what you've created and done for the industry. Sure. So, so we've had just great fun and it harkens back to something you said in a conversation not that long ago with me. But so we founded a company called Becker's Healthcare 30 years ago now, almost 30 years ago now, started in a small segment in surgery centers, then grew, uh, you know, about 20 years ago, we got into hospitals and health systems, North Beach and Spine. Then about 10 or so years back, we moved into healthcare information technology. And, and so forth. So four main big areas. And hospitals and hospitals is by far the largest part of the company. They have Becker's Healthcare. Then there's still Health IT is the second largest part, orthopedic and spine, surgery centers. And so that's Becker's Healthcare. Becker's Healthcare has sort of, I'll just really quickly go through this and get, get hopefully stuff that's more interesting, more exciting. Uh, Becker's Healthcare, essentially, it tends to be like, we, we talk about it as being a magnet for readers, a magnet for listeners, and a magnet for audiences. And, and that really defines the, the business is really digital business, which is the constant electronic newsletters, websites, and so on. And there's subcategories in a lot of these as well. And then there's the live events that we do. So those are the two big parts of the business. Obviously, over the last several years, we've gotten heavily, heavily involved in something I thought I would never be doing for part of my life, which is podcasting. Until we get a chance to talk to a, a ton of people every single day. And, you know, harken back to something Sydney said in the question you asked her. It's a great question. Where do you get your information? And I loved Sydney's answer because a lot of where I get my information is from just talking to people constantly, whether people that lead health systems, people that work with health systems, or our own editorial team, where I have our editors in chief on my podcast very regularly to get a sense of what's going on. So that is one of the core places I get information too, is from interviewing several people a day and, and just really getting to focus on what they're thinking, what they're seeing, what, what they're seeing out there, what the trends are. I also, and I love that question, where do you get your information? I'm going to answer it as well. I also look at daily the New York Times stats on COVID. I look at this thing called Our World in Data to get stats on COVID. Because what happens is there's so much noise out there and there's so much politicization of everything 
and we try and figure out what is real and the, and the truth is somewhere in between. And by sort yeah. of looking at data constantly, you sort of get a sense of, is it a red blue virus or is it just a bad virus? And you sort of, you know, can depoliticize things by really stunning stats enough. I, I am a regular reader on Yahoo, which biases a little left. I'm a regular reader of the Wall Street Journal, which biases a little bit right. And between all those sources, try and get a sense of, of what I think and what I see, you know, and, and so forth. But I, I love the question of what are you reading? What do you get your news? And I love Sydney's answer. I mean, so much of it also is like, you know, when you hear about like Kyle Rittenhouse verdict, almost all of us hear about it first, not from watching TV, but from either LinkedIn or Facebook or somebody texting you. Did you hear what happened? You what happened? You know, so much of the news comes that way today. And it's a fascinating, evolving world on all these things. You know, I saw Fed Chairman Powell was reappointed. I happen to think he's done a very good job of telegraphing what was going on in the world and what he plans to do. So I think so that and he's done a great job. I saw the other choice that President Biden had is this um, other Fed governor, Lal Brainerd. And once you get through all the noise of everything, of a right versus left pick, a good pick, a bad pick, you learn enough about Brainerd to think ah, she probably would have been a very good pick as well. You know, she was she was more white on the progressive left than Powell, but Powell was originally appointed by Obama and then became chair under Trump. But by the time you filter through everything, all the noise of it, we said we probably would have been okay under either one of them, but I do think Powell's a good choice. But to the point of where you get your news, as 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 Sydney said, so much of it you got, I don't know where I read first that yes, Biden reappointed Powell it was obviously calming to the market, believe that will keep things on track, that he won't be overly dovish or overly hawkish on rates, it'll move forward as he said. And people like predictability. It's, it's just very healthy. But I, I love that question. That's a little bit about Becker's Healthcare. That's a little bit about where I get my news. We've already touched on sort of how we sort of try and compartmentalize yeah. the categorized life. And no, what else? No, that's great. And, and, and that's going. another thing, too, for, for the audience that doesn't know and for Sydney is, you know, not only the podcast, like I mentioned, I listen to regularly, but the aggregation of all the information that's out there that you all put out, I subscribe to one for CFOs. I subscribe to one for CIOs. I think I probably have four or five just, uh, subscriptions that you put out daily and it gives me the headlines and exactly what I need. And for, and then when I need the, when I need to double down, I double click, you know, and I get more information. And then if I'm still interested, there's always a link to the original source documentation. And, and so it just saves me a lot of time, helps me stay up to industry, you know, and I do that a few minutes a day. So there's not meant to be an infomercial at all, but I just truly out of my heart, just sharing with people who might not know the rich resource and what you've created. You, you've really helped transform healthcare, Scott, you and your team by all the different things that you do. So thank you. And, and, and the point that you make, Ed, is, is really the most important point on team. At the end of the day, all of us know that have had any sort of modicum of success in anything, that almost nothing gets done without teams. And it's all about building great teams. We've got a great editor-in-chief, Molly Gamble, a number of different other managing editors and lead editors. I guess Molly's the vice president of operations, editorial operations. Then there's Laura Durda, Ayla Allison, and Mackenzie Bean, and a whole number of other yeah. people. And we literally have about 12 to 15 daily newsletters that go out, and they do an incredibly high-quality job. And we moved a long time ago to short, concise journalism because that's what readers yes. want, to get a sense of what's going on. And I'll just take people through one quick story. In the old days, I used to write these long, long pieces and thought I was so smart. And when I very few people read my long, long pieces, 
but they much more want to know, here's what's going on. It's a quick snapshot of what's going on. And it's where we've all moved towards. And it's not, uh, and it's where, it, it's where we had to move towards. This, this is what people want to know. They want to get a sense of, are people investing in tech? Are they not investing in tech? What kind of tech? What are they doing? What's working? What's not working? Yeah. And yeah, we're, just what we're, trying we're, we're going to move to some interesting uh, questions and, and the guests that you've had in the past. But first, it really is just uh, out of curiosity by the numbers, you know, how many podcasts have you all produced or and like how many conferences, sessions, just kind of interested in some of the data points that you might have? Sure. So we do six main live conferences a year. So we, we've tried to make each conference special. And you'll talk about some of the speakers we have. Well, I'll talk about that. But we can't do that if we're, we're not a conference a week place. Obviously, through the virtual the last 18 months, it's been more of regular, just ongoing, short virtual conferences. But our general business model has been large conferences uh, around hospital health systems, around surgery centers, around health IT. So the two events really around each sector with slightly different takes on each of the events. And we try and make sure each of those events are very special. Podcasts, we do just a tremendous number of. I, I mean, it, it literally, we release a thousand a year. We're up to four million plus, you know, downloads. Uh, you know, it, every month we get three to four hundred thousand downloads, and it's really become a labor of love. When we first did it, I, just to give people a sense of it, the first month we did podcasts and we really started tracking it, we had one hundred and forty three downloads total. So it, you know, it's just it's it's it, it became like. Then the pandemic, we doubled down on it, and people started to respond to it. Podcast generally, yeah. not just us, but podcast generally. In the morning, we were 20th on Apple's all-time business news podcast or their daily business news podcast. So we, we do well. And that's that's of all new business news, not just healthcare. And so they're they're well-received. And we, we, you know, me being sort of verbose right now, Ed, we try and keep them short, 10, 15, 20 minutes, generally episodes are that kind of place we can get through them and enjoy them and it's a great pleasure I mean, it's really it's a fascinating way we these are things we have to do whether they're a business or not because they allow us to stay connected to the world they're just really is allows me to talk to so many interesting people and it just is a great pleasure uh, off the top of your head tell us you could with all these podcasts and all these conferences and sessions and, and guests tell tell us one of the most interesting experiences you can pick whatever <laughs> They're, they're so varied. They're so varied. I mean, so I, I can harken back to three or four different things. I mean, to me, and this is not intended to be virtue signaling at all. I, I just, I find all of us are within a generation or two immigrants to our country. So probably there's almost nothing more interesting to me than talking to a doctor, a health system leader, almost anybody who's immigrated in the last generation or so and to hear their story. I mean, it, to me, they're just so interesting. You know, Mike Ugwicki, CEO of Methodist, uh, I can never pronounce the last part of the Methodist in, in Tennessee. He's been on our advisory board forever, Mike Ugwicki. I met him 30 years ago when he was assistant minister of some health system, but he had immigrated to the country in his 20s. And it just is a crazily phenomenal story. But there's so yeah. many stories like that. That I find, I find that as interesting as anybody I talk to, like, the amount of immigrants I get to talk to from whether it's India, Sri Lanka, Africa, wherever it is, and just the story, um, you know, and, and how they got here and their life story. It's just so different. I grew up, my parents are first-generation immigrants. My parents are second-generation. My grandparents immigrated here. My parents were then born here, but just barely after their parents moved here, you know, and I'm now second-generation, whatever it is. But it's, it's, 
but all of us are immigrants within, you know, within not too distant past. And so I find those stories to be fascinating. In terms of celebrities, there are just a whole, whole mix of people that we've had a chance to talk to. The first time I got to interview a president in person, you know, that was just fascinating. Uh, you get to meet people where you've got a perspective on them that's carved out by the nightly news, and then you meet them in person, whether Hillary Clinton uh, or, or Tucker Carlson. And, and most of these people are just an absolute pleasure in person, regardless of your political views. They're very smart. They're very intelligent. You know, you get the reality that they're playing to an audience on TV, but they're just like very thoughtful, deep people. I had a chance to interview both Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who, oh my goodness, is just the most fascinating person. It's not, it's not a great public speaker. He, he literally had all his notes written out from him and stuff like that. But once he gets the question and answer, there's almost nobody more captivating than him. And he's had this fascinating life and just, you know, on a million levels. Uh, you know, Bill Walton is just a, is, a, is a real highlight. Um, you know, we just had this past week, President Bush and President Clinton and President Bush brought Laura Bush. You know, and what's, what's amazing about all these people is like President Bush you know, was painted by the media as being sort of foolish. I've now had a chance to visit them probably almost a dozen, almost 10 times. It's just an absolute pleasure of a person. And, and Bill Clinton, who came and just spoke, his first speaking experience, experience or appearance since being in the hospital, was just, uh, you know, it was a, 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 a little tired. His first time out in literally since really COVID, but really since he just had this episode of sepsis. But then as he gets going, these, these crazy personal skills, crazy intellect, you know, and, and just fascinating to visit with all these people. And some people that I expect to love, I like. I mean, I'll tell you who I love is Ariana Huffington, who I didn't know that I'd love so much because she's often, you know, feels preachy to me when she's on TV. But in person, she was just, oh, my God. Yeah. There's a lot. We find it fascinating. We find it just really interesting. And, and, and you know, and, and, and you know, mostly like Venus Williams we had. And just like, a, you know, and again, not as polished a public speaker, but just such a pleasure to visit with. You know, such like, you know, I, I, I you know, just magnificent. I mean, just really interesting. People that have just achieved but are nice people. They both, they almost all have crazy personal skills because they can't do what they've done without them. And Venus Williams has the greatest personal skills to be a fabulous tennis player, but just crazily a pleasure. Scott, to I, you know, are there one or two attributes that cross all these type of individuals, all the leaders that you've met, so it doesn't have to be celebrities anymore, but um, all the leaders that you've met and spoken with, are there one or two key attributes that the majority of them have? And 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 if so, yeah, it'd be great to know. And then maybe I will, you know, ask about how someone might develop those if they don't, if they're not very strong in those. Yeah, so we generally think of three core attributes with success for people that we've worked with and, and, and so forth. And it's this great mix of, you know, personal skills. They relate well to people, uh, intellect, and they don't have to be brilliant often, but they have to be smart enough. And then they have to be motivated. And then so you start with those three. But then you see in certain people, and you and I see this in leaders, some leaders feel like they're oh, they're, they're, they have to be great communicators, but there's this great balance between what feels like high-integrity communication that sounds like the person really talking versus communication that feels like stilted or stunted, like it's, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. for PR purposes. 
people have a very, you know, quick sense of does that feel legitimate and sincere or is this person just a talker? You know, I mean, and, and you see this in a lot of leaders and often those leaders end up, um, you know, in, in, in the wrong side of things over time. Are they really caring? They're really empathetic. What I see in healthcare system leaders is, and, and it's, it's rounded more towards us over the years in my perspective is tremendous compassion and empathy along with great leadership skills. It's why often you have these great nurse leaders, great physician leaders, great other leaders. You look like people like Johnny Spiso, who's, who's the CEO of UCLA, UCLA Health, who's got this brilliant compassion and brilliant way of dealing with herself together with crazy intelligence. You know, you see this Nancy Agee, you see in Helen Kern, who's the CEO of, um, of Centera. Obviously, there's people like Mike Dowling, Mark Harrison that need no discussion. Lloyd Dean, the CEO of Common Spirit, which is a crazy personal story. And, you know, he's got a, an incredible public persona, but as is deep as his public persona yeah. is. You know, and those are often, those are sometimes two different things. He's got a great public persona, but it's not really that artwork and not really that good, not really that great. Lloyd is not that. Lloyd has got this magnificent public persona and just a pleasure, you know, to deal with in a deep, deep, caring way. I mean, I don't know the attributes, but you start with a few core things people have to, have to be successful. Then you look at, do they have this great integrity, they have this sincerity, they have great communication skills that feel yeah. real, not pretend, that feel like they're, they act, like are meaningful, that they're not, um, you know, because the people that are on show, it, it, it ultimately, you know, people sense that over time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think the attribute, you know, you're talking about is authenticity and you know, I often had people come up to me and they're like, and I'm sure you get the same thing. And they're like, I, you know, I really admire X about you and I really want to be like you and, and, you know, to help me, you know, and then you share with them like, okay, well, be real. Quit having this persona that you're some God with a little G and just be real and say, gosh, I, I screwed up or I made mistakes or man, I'm not really good at this. Just be gut honest, you know, like, like you were in sharing earlier and people resonate that resonates with people and they'll, then they'll care more about what you say. But yeah, some people for whatever reason, maybe for lack of training, lack of mentoring, they, they struggle. They, they don't know how to be authentic and they only know to be sort of corporate, you know? Um, and so they, they really struggle. So no, thanks for sharing. I think you've hit on but, but something. Back up on that. Cause we were talking about that. One of our kids is pre-med you know, and going through interviewing and stuff like that. And she was talking about exactly this, about like, how should I act during the interview? And I said, what you want to do is act like yourself, because what you are is good enough. What you are is actually magnificent, that particular child, but not that all the kids aren't, right? But you have to be magnificent. I'm like, just you be yourself. You have to be yourself and explain yourself. That's what you want to be. And we say the same to our writers. When our writers first start, we start with very, very bright journalists, very, very bright writers. Sometimes they'll try so hard to cover an area like they're the person in that area talking. And we try and get to them. That's not what you want to do. You want to cover that area like yourself for that person. Yeah. And if it seems boring to you, what, what, it's probably boring to them too. You want to you want to bring yourself to what you're doing. And we don't want your political narrative. We don't want any of those things. But we want yourself writing, not you writing for some, not you writing to pretend to be somebody else. And, and, and what you see is in, in our young writers sometimes, they'll try too hard to try and write as though they're a CIO, and we don't want that. We you're the you're the you're the 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 person to report on what 
this CIO is thinking or what they're saying or what they're doing, you don't have to be that person. You're the person to bring out that voice. But you have to be yourself. Yeah. No, this is this is great stuff. I, I, I love this. And, and you have such keen insight given your your experience and what you do. So uh, thank you. And I'm sure our listeners are are getting a lot out of it, too. I want to hit one more question along the same lines and then then back up one question to uh, all things digital, digital transformation and kind of where we're headed. So, you know, so, so our audience is largely chief digital officers across all of health and life sciences. That's kind of what the sort of separates our podcast from some of the others as we're trying to bring together all the all the digital across health and life sciences. And, and, but also a good portion of the audience are future, they're leaders now, but maybe junior leaders, or maybe someone um, like in Sydney's age group who is just starting out in their healthcare career and are really interested, like what, what are one or two things I should work on? So, so we highlighted a couple of things already, like that authenticity, that transparency, just being, being real. Are, are there one or two other things that you might say to young leaders, Scott, or maybe that you say to your kids who are also rising young leaders uh, that, that individuals that are listening, you know, that might benefit that they might, you know, think about that and, and, and work on that. Sure. So one of the guests we had on our podcast the other day, his name is Andrew McCart. He teaches at university of Louisville and, and he had this great concept. We talked about leadership and so forth and just struck me as so right because you know, you, you look at things and I'll come right to the concept in one second. When you look at success, it's often this mix of analytical usefulness plus relationship usefulness. Plus, and, and he, he had put one of his phrases on leadership, leadership or, or being successful as being agreeable. And, and I think this concept of being agreeable, it, it doesn't mean that you bend over backwards, somebody's treating you poorly, but, but it does mean that you're generally agreeable. And, and you and I know that over a long career, People want to work with people that they can deal with, that they can that they can be agreeable. It's like it's like in a relationship, it's like in life, and anything like that. You don't want to have to be right. It, it's it's yeah. fun to be right, me, but it's very important to be able to be able to in business to be able to in any organization to be able to get along with people. Like I had one of my kids' coaches, one of my daughter's tennis coaches, used to say, "Not everybody on the team." can be a constant fighter for how we do things, against how we do things. People have to ultimately, we're a team, and you got to live in that team. And, and, and his, his concept was, like, I, I don't want you in triumphs to show how difficult or how whatever you are, I want you to play. I want you to be, you know, and this concept of agreeability, which discusses, is underrated in business and life. And then the other things I'd say is, you know, and, and it never means that you're bending over backwards for somebody who's doing something wrong. That does not mean, that's not what agreeable means, but it also means that not everything is a fight. You know, not everything is a yeah. fight or a war. It has to be a war. If somebody's sexually molesting somebody, that's a war. That's not right. You can't be agreeable. you got to stand up for it. But, but on a lot, a lot, a lot of issues, you just got to sort of get along and move forward and get better. The other thing we think about are keep learning constantly, and you need to dig in. You need to, like, when you have a chance to do something right, you have to make it great. You have to sort of dig in and, and go through with it and, and, and make it great. There's a lot of different concepts that sort of boil around towards leadership, towards having success. Um, but but I do think about, yes, constantly learning. Dig in. You have to take care of your physical and mental health. And we talked yeah. about, you know, this concept of like, what do you have to do every day to keep yourself sharp and healthy? And it goes back to a lot of concepts we talked about, but you can't perform in the long run without keeping yourself sharp, healthy, and, and, and centered. Great stuff. This is really, 
really awesome. So last question on, but we'll get it back to digital now. So you see Scott, cause you, again, not you're, you're smart yourself, but then because of what you're doing and talking to all these leaders all the time, you know, you could lead any of these organizations now, by the way, you could lead any uh, payer organization, any health system. Uh, you could do it. You could do it all. So where do you think we're headed with, with, uh, digital transformation in healthcare? Where, where do you think, you know, three years from now, is it going to be kind of the same? Uh, or, or are we, are we looking at big changes, you know, kind of how do you see things based on all the inputs you get? Right. So I don't know if I can lead or not. The only way I can lead something is with a magnificent team in place that can help drive it where it's at. And then maybe can help on coaching and strategy and stuff like that. So I, I don't, I think, I don't think that I could lead some of these major merger organizations at all, but I, but I appreciate that concept. Where are we headed? This is a great, great challenge. You know, if you look at the stock market over the last couple of years, the S&P versus the NASDAQ, the Dow versus the NASDAQ, this is a fascinating, fascinating dichotomy. The, the, the NASDAQ is way up the last couple of years. Um, it's, it's sort of overrepresented by technology-driven companies. The Dow has got the old traditional companies and, and so forth. And probably the sort of uh, there is there is a line in the sand that happened when GE said last week or two weeks ago that's breaking up into three different companies. This is sort of a line in the sand. It was a demarcation or an exclamation point on the division of the old economy versus the new economy and where the world's headed. And, and it's very, very complicated. So if you look at health systems, major health systems, they are largely heavy in things that the old Dow types of companies are heavy in. They're very heavy in bricks and mortar. They're very, very heavy in people and, and what in and, and labor costs. What is outperforming those kinds of companies are things that are very, very heavy in technology and lighter on people. I mean, everybody wants to be an investor in a software service company that goes well because it's scalable without nearly the amount of labor costs that go with that scalability. So you've got this fasting situation. And at the same time, when you go through this pandemic, People were ready to write off before the pandemic how many hospital beds we have in the country. And, and it, at the end of the day, the pandemic proved we still need hospital beds. We still need hospital beds, beds in great numbers. So you, you got this very complicated situation. If you're running a major health system, you're, you're trying to play in multiple different paths at the same time. You're trying to keep the bricks and mortars alive, which are needed for people. Everybody talks about hospital at home today. Hospital home is a different sort of elevation of home health care, but it, it's driven for all kinds of different reasons, and it's not a perfect answer. I mean, there's places where it's great, but if you have a, a patient at home who doesn't have a support system of the right sort, you can't have them as a hospital home patient. It just doesn't work. I mean, there's like there, there's a lot of there's a lot of um oh goodness assumptions made on a lot of these transitions. So what happens is your hospital health system. You still have to keep it, take advantage of your strengths that you've got a better pool and better depth of physicians and nurses and staff. Uh, but then you've got a triple, quadruple down on virtual and the kinds of things that patients and people want. And I'll talk about this from the health system perspective first. It's the one that I spend the most time with. But they've got this great challenge of big bricks and mortars, big staff costs, having to take advantage of the strengths they have. Many of the virtual offerings will be great at marketing, but very soft on delivery of professional and physician clinical talent behind them. And as a health system, you've got to try to take advantage of, do we have a great assemblage of talent to take care of patients 
to take care of people and patients, and at the same time, so easy to use that we can compete well with virtual offerings. You know, and, and you've got this huge transformation going on in our country, much of it for the right reasons, some of it cynically for the wrong reasons, but either way, you've got this major transformation going on, and health systems have to be absolutely great at this. You know, people are, are very used to every other part of their life having a pretty good digital experience, and we see it because we're all, we're all, the beauty of healthcare is, and the beauty of the world is we're all consumers. We're all patients and consumers. So we see, you know, there are certain um, vendors we work with all digitally. When you need a person, it's brutal. I saw something this morning on, a, on one of the companies I had to get a, a refund from. You could wait online, and it was 137 minutes to wait. You know, but I know I always have my phone going because if I wait for them to call back, I'll for sure miss the call and be starting again. So I have to keep one phone going while I wait 137 minutes for them to get through. And something that was automatically renewed and paid for that I didn't want to pay for it. I was like, I don't need that, you know. But it's but in healthcare, it's trying to hit this right balance of digital with people because you still need people to back everything up. And, and, you, you know, if, if you were rebooking flights this year with Expedia that, you you know, you're supposed to get free flights or free credits on the flight you canceled, you know, you're not able to redo it without actually talking to somebody. Right. And it would take hours and hours to talk to somebody. Health systems, we can't do that. There are other examples that are magnificent at this. In health systems, we have to have the, you know, as much digital as possible, but easy off-ramps to be able to talk to people too. You know, and, and you see this evolution of, but from a health system perspective, I mean, Thomas Jefferson, Jefferson Health, great example of this. They got way out in front of digital health before others did, um, you know, even when they were fee-for-service. Kaiser Healthcare obviously beat everybody to the punch. Kaiser Permanente was doing 6% of visits virtually before the pandemic. I mean, they were just so far ahead of it. And you and I know, because I, I had many interviews with people at Cleveland Clinic when they got going at, on virtual, they were still just doing a handful of percentage of visits through virtual care where Kaiser was already sixty percent. This was before you know, before the pandemic. But it, it's it's I mean you've got to be great on the virtual, but you've got to back it up with, with great clinical staff, great clinical talent. I mean it's almost like the speaker we talked about the leader before that could speak great but isn't actually a great leader. And and they're two very different things. And a house system's got to be great virtually, great technology wise, but they also have to have great talent behind it. It's why the Cleveland Clinics, the the you know the, the the Mayo Clinics, New York Press, yeah. continue to thrive because people feel no problem. They're going to get great care because they've got great, great deep benches and talent. Yeah, no, those are, those are really good points. And yeah, I, I think you're right. And I love the example about what we're seeing in the different markets and uh, that analogy. Very, very, very powerful. Wow. We, we could easily go on forever. Scott, I'm going to leave the last comment to you. You know, we covered a lot of different areas on everything from Becker's because it's very interesting and all that you've done for the industry. Uh, learned a little bit about yourself. Then we talked quite a bit about uh, leadership and, and what we learned from other people and we can apply to our own lives, whether we're uh, mid-career, end-of-career or early-career. And then finally, where we're headed digitally. So any other comments that you, that you might have for us, Scott, uh, or double down on one that we already hit? No, I don't. I don't really have any uh, any other comments. For me, it's this great pleasure to have Sydney with us today. And like you know, this this concept, our whole world today is multi generational. With and, and you and I, you you've lived in the technology world for a long time, so you're not quite as disadvantaged so many of us are. But this whole generation, that's a generation or two past us, 
or, or I don't know, you call it the 20s, 30s, et cetera, and the kids that are younger, they're so much more advanced on so many of these things that just puts them in this great spot for their future. And, and so sure. they take advantage of it. As it's such an advantage to grow up as a digital native, not like us. Not, at least I not. You're closer to it. So you made it your life's work. But it's it's a fascinating, fascinating time in, in, in healthcare. And it, and it still comes down to something you said earlier, what Sydney said earlier. I love what Sydney said at the end of the day. I get most of my news and thoughts from people, and I think that's very true. Because and you have to like. Then I think it's taking that one step further, and just sorting those thoughts out, and and, and you know not not dialing into the Fox narrative, the CNN narrative, but figuring out what really what really makes sense, what what really makes sense on things. I think it's a fascinating period of time, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate you and Sydney having me on. What what a great pleasure to visit with you folks. Scott, thank you so much. You're the best, and I can't wait to uh, make it out there and see you again in person. Thanks, Sydney. Thanks, Scott. And thanks for listening. Thank you, folks.